1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Like I said earlier, it was my intent to continue in Luke this morning with the rich man, Lazarus. But throughout the week, the Lord kept bringing me back to this text in light of the Lord's Supper. And I felt compelled to turn to this text. And as I began praying and meditating over its words, the Lord began to open up the passage of Scripture to my heart. And I was greatly inspired and amazed, humbled, and thrilled. I've been a Christian for 40 years. And I cannot count how many times I've come to the Lord's table. But I can witness and testify to the fact that it's never been boring. It never got to the point to where it was just something you did habitually. And yet this morning it means even more to me than ever before. 1 Corinthians 11:26 for as often for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you do shew the Lord's death till he come let's pray heavenly father there's no way possible that I as a mortal man could ever proclaim the truth in this verse without divine assistance Human words cannot be sufficient. Therefore, I pray the Holy Spirit of God would guide and direct us this morning into this truth. May He alone be our teacher and our guide. Lord, I pray that You quicken our hearts and inspire us even before we come to this table. And Lord, I pray You'd forgive us where we've not esteemed it as highly as we should have or kept it in remembrance as your scripture demands us to. And I pray, Father, Lord God, that you'd help us to be reminded by it this morning of our great need of Christ. Oh, Lord, I pray that we could see anew the broken body of our Savior and his blood pouring out on our behalf. And Lord, as we see that, I pray that you'd give us the grace and the faith to see that he was and is our substitute. And Lord, we partake in his death and therefore we're justified before God. Lord, what a standing we have in Christ. Watch over us this morning, I pray, and bless us with the presence of thy Son and thy Holy Spirit. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do shew the Lord's death till he come. Beloved, how often since that night Christ first instituted this divine ordinance has God's elect shewed the Lord's death by partaking of this ordinance. For centuries and around the world on every continent, the church of God has shewed the Lord's death 
by their partaking of this divinely given ordinance. It's an amazing thought if we just spend the time thinking about it. Uh, for as often as you eat, how often has God's elect gathered together as believers in Christ, united in faith around the table of the Lord's Supper and partook of the Lord's Supper, shewing the Lord's death? That should amaze us as Christians. Though kingdoms and governments have come and gone, though countless wars and fightings among nations have raged, though the very gates of hell have vainly sought to prevail against His church, and even though there has risen amongst the church's own ranks controversies and schisms concerning its practice and its method, Beloved, this divine ordinance continues to be observed by God's elect, shooing, proclaiming, preaching our Lord's death. None of that has hindered or altered God's elect from partaking of this Lord's Supper. Which to me, the more I thought about it, which to me only proves its divine origin. It's truly of Christ. For if it was instituted by man, they would have surely erased its meaning and purpose long ago. But in spite of all that, we gather here this morning to partake of the Lord's Supper, just as our Lord did with His disciples many a couple thousand years ago, to show forth His death. The more I contemplated that, the more I thought of how many countless times when my mind raced as best it could through uh, my knowledge of church history and what Christians went through through the dark ages, through the troubles and times, persecution, tribulations, afflictions. Hebrews gives us a whole list of them. And that God's people today are still partaking of the Lord's Supper. This greatly humbled me to realize that we have such a great privilege and honor this morning to join in with all the saints of God throughout history to once again proclaim our Lord's death by our partaking of this divine ordinance. I encourage you to dwell on that some today. As oft as ye eat, and God's elect hath eaten off. We're in those ranks with the Bunyans and the Whitfields and the Wesleys and the Pauls and the Peters and the James and the John. It kind of makes this ordinance in some manner very holy. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do shew the Lord's death till he come. Beloved, I fear too many of God's people do not truly understand the great significance and importance of this divine ordinance, nor the amazing and glorious effect it could have upon our faith in Christ. Let's some of the old hymn writers define it to us. One hymn writer wrote, and I quote, How sweet and awful is the place where Christ within the doors 
while everlasting love displays the choicest of her stores. Hear all the mercy of our God with soft compassion rolls. Hear peace and pardon bought with blood is food for ransomed souls. While all our hearts in prayer and song join to admire the feast, each of us cry with thankful tongues, Lord, why was I a guest? Why was I made to hear thy voice and enter while there's room when thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come? T'was the same love that spread the feast that sweetly forced us in else we had still refused to taste and perished in our sins. An amazing hymn. Our forefathers understood the significance of this Lord's Supper. What do you think about the Lord's Supper before I even begin? What's your thoughts about it? When people ask you about it or somebody confronted you and said, tell me what your thoughts are about the Lord's Supper, what would your answer be? What would your response be? Would it be simply, well, the Lord gave this ordinance to the church and therefore we must obey? Or would you see the Lord's Supper as much more than merely bread and a cup? You do shew the Lord's death till he come. I also thought concerning the Lord's death in this ordinance, you know, sinful man would vainly seek to memorialize the death of men. They build their monuments. They engrave their names on stone. They even create holidays in their name. Yet Job says it best when he says, Yet he shall perish forever like his own dung. They which have seen him shall say, Where is he? He shall fly away as a dream and shall not be found. Yea, he shall be chased away as a vision in the night. The eye also which saw him shall see him no more. Neither shall his place any more behold him. Time and wind and rain and weather erases their memorials of men's death. When in England I went to visit John Wesley's church and across the street there's the graveyard of John Owens and a few other uh, saints of God. John Bunyan, I believe, I visited as well. <clears throat> Isaac Watts. And when I went into the graveyard and I found the tombstone, it was all tipped and green moss was growing over it. It was decayed. The whole graveyard was decayed. And I thought, wow. And there was a man standing there, and uh, he was the caretaker of the grave. And I asked him, I said, why are these graves so dilapidated and mold-growing? He said, well, after a while, the family members die off, and then there's nobody to come and take up the grave and clean it up and make it look presentable. So it just slowly with time rots. That's man. He can create what he wants to, but it will be vanished away. Spurgeon's got a big old huge sepulcher. You can go visit. I was there and seen it. And me being young and naive as a Christian, reading Spurgeon and the Puritans the first time I got to London, and I thought, I get to go see Spurgeon's church. I get to sit in the same building and 
and, and I get to go to his sepulcher and see him. And it's a big, huge sepulcher. So the first night in London, the next morning, I got up and I said, could you please tell me where Spurgeon's church is at? And the man said, who? I said, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon. Surely everyone knows of Charles Spurgeon. He had no idea who I was talking about. You see, man would memorialize his death by building monuments, setting of gravestones and holidays. And yet time and, the, and wind and rain and wipe him all away. Even us, do you know that? Some might think of us for a while when we pass. Give it a few years. Let your closest loved ones pass as well and how quickly you're forgotten and how quickly moss goes over your headstone and people forget you. That's memorial for a sinful man. Yet Christ, yet Christ would not have a monument erected in his name. He would not have his name engraven on any stone, not even a holiday created that his people should remember him by. Christmas was not created by Christ. Just won't put that in there. But he would institute a divine ordinance exclusively for his elect. That they might remember him by shewing his death till he come again. This is Christ's memorial unto his elect. Do this in remembrance of me. I don't want a monument. I don't need a gravestone. I don't need a holiday. I want you as my people to gather together, unified in faith and love as believers, one in Christ. And in the atmosphere of that unity and love, I want you to gather around the table and partake of my body and my blood in the symbol of the bread and the cup. And I want you to remember me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till He come. You're showing it, He said. You're proclaiming it. You're preaching it. That's what shoe means. You're proclaiming it. You're preaching my death. But I want you to see something about this verse and about this ordinance that is vital for us to comprehend. Listen to me. I hope to do this systematically and hopefully it will build up. And I hope and pray the Lord would bless. I want you to notice, first of all, that in Paul's words, there must be a partaking. Listen to me. A partaking of this ordinance if one is to receive the blessings of shewing the Lord's death. Listen to his words. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup as often as you eat in other words as often as you partake of this ordinance as often as you take the bread and eat it as often as you drink the cup whenever you do that as, as often as you partake of it you do show forth the Lord's death it's not observing it it's not looking at it it's being part of it it's being partakers in it and I'll show you in a few minutes why that partaking is so important for us as believers. The true believer must not be a bystander or merely an observer. 
But Paul said, you must partake by eating and drinking yourself. Since the coming of this COVID and this thing of where people stopped going to church, and many people have settled in for internet Christianity or internet church, so many Christians have forsaken the assembling of themselves together, and therefore they partake not of the Lord's Supper. And I'm telling you, I believe that's a grievous sin. I believe it's not right. The Lord's Supper is not something that Christians choose to take or refuse. It's something the Lord has told us to do in remembrance of Him. And when we're not partaking of it, we're not chewing His death until He comes. We're not remembering Him. You say, well, I do remember Him. The Lord said, no, when you take this supper, when you partake of it, then you're remembering Me. I know Christians now that are not part of a church and therefore cannot and will not and does not partake of the Lord's Supper. And the more I thought about this this morning, the more it broke my heart. Do they understand what they're neglecting? Do they understand what they're doing? They're not partaking. They're not remembering. Because partaking is the significance of which Paul is talking about. So often as you eat, so often as you drink, why is that so important? Beloved, though there be no power or virtue in the bread or in the cup, it is the partaking of it which symbolizes and represents the unity of the believer with Christ and especially our oneness with Christ in His death. Have you ever considered you're part of what we're doing? Let me show you Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Verse 1. Read the whole text because it's so good. Verse 1. Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now watch, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Do you see what Paul's saying? We have a oneness with Christ in His death. He was our substitute. When I take that bread, even though it has no power or virtue, by me partaking of it, it's just symbolizing my oneness with Christ because He was my substitute. He died in my place. And I'm taking that broken body. When I take the blood, He's my substitute. I died with Him. That blood covers my sins. I'm one with Christ in His death. I often wondered myself over the years why Christ emphasizes His death in the Lord's Supper and not His resurrection. Because in this life, it's His death that we need to be constantly reminded of. Now why be that? 
Let me ask you a question before I give an answer. How often in this vile world do we struggle with the temptations of Satan? The world, sin, our own hearts. How often do our own hearts condemn us? It's the death of Jesus Christ that assures us that the penalty has been paid. Are you following me? I'm one with Christ. When Christ died, I died with him. The sufficiency of Christ's death is sealed in our conscience and by faith is assured. And the Lord's Supper helps us to remind us of that. Christ took my place. And in Him as my substitute, listen to me, I satisfied every requirement of God's law. So when God's law condemns me, you're not living right, you're not doing right. I can say in Christ I died and therefore satisfied the requirement of all God's law. In the persons of Christ, in the person of Christ, I paid the full price which divine justice demanded. The wages of sin are what? Death. But the gift of eternal life, right? The wages of sin are death. In the person of Christ, who is my substitute, I paid the full price which divine justice demanded. There is now no condemnation. No condemnation now. Our hymn writers do what they're talking about. No condemnation. Oh, your guilty conscience comes and says, oh, you're vile, wicked. How could you even think that God could save someone like you? How do you think that God could even save you? Look at the vileness and the wickedness of your heart. Look at your thoughts. And we say, no, but I've died in Christ. He's my substitute. And therefore, I've satisfied the divine justice which God demanded. Why do you think we sing about in Christ? All the songs we sung this morning was about the righteousness of Christ and what we have in His death and His resurrection in Christ. I've satisfied divine justice. In the person of Christ, I stand approved and fully reconciled before God. That could take weeks to ponder and still not find the end of that. In Christ, in the person of Christ, I stand approved and fully reconciled before God. He is the propitiation for our sins. Do you have any idea what that means? To be assured in your hearts and minds that in Christ we stand before a thrice holy God, approved and reconciled. No sin. You do shew forth the Lord's death. It's been paid. So as we travel through this pilgrim world, this pilgrimage, we're often confronted by Satan, the world, and sin. What's our hope? Beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand. When I survey the wondrous cross upon the 
upon which the Prince of Glory died. For me, me, for me, I died. And can it be no condemnation now, I dread? Do you? No condemnation now, I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. We 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 read so quickly through these hymns. We 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 get so used to them. We don't stop and think about Jesus and all in Him is mine. Jesus and all in Him is mine. Alive in Him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine, His not mine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. I am one with Christ. When I partake of the bread, I'm one with Christ. When I take, partake of the cup, I'm one with Christ. Therefore, I do this to shew forth his death. I remember him. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you shew the Lord's death. Three words, till he comes. This divine ordinance is temporary. The Lord did say with his disciples, I'll drink the wine or the vine with you in the kingdom, but he didn't talk about the Lord's Supper. He said, Paul says, till he comes. It's temporary. For until Christ returns, it is the showing of his death by the partaking of this divine ordinance, which shall be our greatest comfort and hope. The Lord wants us to be reminded of his death until he comes. Beloved, as we pilgrim, like I said before, through this world of sin, facing the temptations of Satan and our own constant infirmities and weaknesses, and they are many, they are many, they are countless. This is what we need to be reminded of. I've died with Christ. I died to self, to the world, to sin. I've died with Christ. So when I partake of the table, I'm symbolizing my oneness in his death but I don't get those blessings unless I partake of it. Not speak about it, not observe it. Partake. Again, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. There's another verse that's not in all hymns, is this, his dying crimson, his dying crimson, that's his blood, like a robe spreads over his body on the tree, then I am dead to all the globe. I am dead to all the globe. And all the globe is dead to me. You see, you get that from part, you get that from part take, if we understand the meaning of the Lord's Supper, which we'll get in closing, is one reason why people eat it unworthily, because they're ignorance. They have no idea what it's about. The church isn't doing their job. Christians come before the Lord's table and have no idea what it's all about. It's just superficial. And Paul said, that's eating of it unworthily. You don't esteem it. You don't place it where it needs to be. You don't highly value it. Then you eat it unworthily when you brazenly come before the Lord's Supper flippantly with no consideration and not esteeming it. Paul said, you're eating unworthy. Another hymn writer defines it even better than I could. 
says, listen to this, Lord, at thy table I behold the wonders of thy grace, but most of all admire that I should find a welcome place. The Lord's invited us to his table. The humility of that when we think about that. I that am all defiled with sin, a rebel to my God, I that have crucified his son and trampled on his blood. What strange, surprising grace is this, that such a soul has room. My Savior takes me by the hand. My Jesus bids me come. Eat, O my friends, the Savior cries. The feast was made for you. For you I groaned and bled and died and rose and triumphed too. With trembling faith and bleeding hearts, Lord, we accept thy love. Tis a rich banquet we have had. What will it be above? They understood the significance of the Lord's Supper. And beloved, the great importance of the true believers partaking of this divine ordinance is seen in the stern exhortation against one taking it unworthily in the following verses. Listen how this flows. Look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. See how this flows through our text here. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For as often, in verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore... Whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink of this drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be, be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh himself, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. He's not considering it. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. There are two cases of unworthy which Paul refers to here. One is because they're not unconverted. There was unconverted believers in the church of Corinth, and Paul says, you're not worthy. You don't admire Christ. You don't love Christ. You have nothing to do with Christ. You're not united to Him. You have nothing to do with Christ. You're not His. You're eating it unworthily. But there was a second class. That's why I said, many are sick among you. Talking to believers. He said, because you're not highly esteeming it. You're not discerning the Lord's body. You're not considering what you're doing. And it's importance for the believer's faith in Christ. Ignorance was the greatest sin. He said, you need to understand what you're doing. You need to esteem the Lord's Supper. It needs to be greatly valued in your eyes. Don't come flippantly before the Lord's Supper. They were having lunch and dinner in the church, and they just went from one to the other like they were both the same. Paul says, you're eating unworthy. It's a shame that so many churches have failed in teaching God's people the significance of the Lord's Supper. They'd rather fight, debate, and have controversies over the practice and method of it rather than get to the heart of it and the true meaning and significance of it. But in spite of that, it's still here. In spite of that, this morning we have the great privilege as God's elect, to gather around the Lord's Supper as fellow believers, united in love and faith and unity in Christ. As the body of Christ, we have the privilege and the honor to gather around this table and partake of the Lord's Supper that we might chew, we might proclaim, we might preach His death. And every time we partake of the bread and the juice, we're one with Christ. You ever considered the Lord's Supper? Have you ever approached it with that thought? 
I'm one with Christ in his death. His broken body. He was my substitute. I'm one with him. His blood. I'm one with him. And because I'm one with him, till he come is my greatest comfort. Till he come. Beloved, this is what we have in the Lord's Supper. This is what we should highly esteem as we gather together the Lord's Supper. No wonder there was so many in church history, so many who believe that the Lord's Supper should be done every Sunday, every time Christians meet on the Lord's Day, partake of the Lord's Supper. They knew something about the Lord's Supper. I'm telling you, I was... 10, 15, 20 years a Christian before I even began to even slightly hear about the significance of it. Most of the time they preach from Corinthians telling me that I'm unworthy to partake of it. If you have sin against your brother or sin against your mother, any kind of sin, you can't partake of it. And so the exhortation is not that we won't partake of it. The exhortation is that we would. And I still remember times I didn't partake about because I didn't think I was worthy. You know, if we really, every single one of us, examined ourselves close enough, none of us would be worthy enough to partake of this. None of us. I guarantee you all of us committed sin enough this last week, we'd all feel ashamed to partake. That's not what Paul's talking about. Yes, we come with examination of our hearts, but we come esteeming it highly, valuing it, praising it, thanking it, enjoying it, being encouraged by it. So what does it do for me when I partake of the Lord's Supper? And I mean, it's like the old hymn said, in this room, in this place of love. It's magnificent. Consider consider everything surrounding our Lord when he instituted it. He took him away from the world and put him in the upper chamber, closed the door. Judas was gone. We can debate that issue, but let's just leave it at that for right now. And all the disciples unified around Christ. In such an atmosphere of love and unity and faith, oneness in Christ. Oh, differences of people, Peter, John, James, all different. Thomas, they all had their weaknesses, they all had their failures. But in that moment, there was a unity. In that moment, there was a unity of love and faith between the believers and Christ. This is what our forefathers wrote hymns about. What a wonderful place to be in this morning. When the world is full of chaos, and hectic, hate, war, and getting worse and worse. We gather here between in these four walls as God's elect people, redeemed by the blood of Christ. We gather around the Lord's taper, table and we partake of the Lord's Supper because we're one with Christ in His death. We shall be one with Him in His resurrection. Jesus Christ is all we need. He's our righteousness. And clothed in righteousness divine. What a glorious thought. So when we partake of it this morning, remember Christ. But remember, maybe for the first time, that you're one with Him. In His broken body and in His blood, you're one with Him. What a reconciliation. What a God. What a Savior. Praise God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for this privilege. Lord, thousands, if not millions upon millions of elect God's people have partaken of this Lord's Supper since that first night you instituted it. 
and time and culture and sinful man and the world, the changing, nothing has changed. We have it still today. What we're doing today in the next few moments is the same exact ordinance you had with your disciples in that upper chamber so many years ago. What a privilege. What an honor it is to be one with you in death because we will also be one with you in our resurrection. Dear God, we thank you for the preciousness of your Son. How could we ever repay you? How can it be that I should gain an interest? Thank you, dear God, for calling us out of a world of darkness and sin and teaching us of Christ and bringing us into the fold. Thank you, dear God, for your amazing grace. We ask these things now in Christ's name. Amen and amen.